I want to welcome everyone back to the third edition of the Dairy Science Digest. And today with me, I have Dr. Laporta from Florida, and she's going to present to us some information about some much-awaited data talking about the effects of in utero heat stress. We now have 10 years worth of data supporting how critical it is to take care of those dry cows and preventing heat stress. So could you introduce yourself to the, the dairymen out, out there in the world? Sure. My name is Jimena Laporta. I got my PhD at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And in 2015, I started my position here at the University of Florida, where I have been for the past five years. So my research program centers around mammary gland physiology and lactation biology in general. So when I came uh, to UF five years ago, um, I started collaborating with Dr. Dahl, and they had recently reported the effects on the daughters of cows that were heat stressed during the dry period. And so I, I think that was fascinating, and I started looking more into fetal programming. So that's how the maternal environment can impact the developing offspring in utero. So I saw this opportunity to create this unique data set to be able to look at multiple generations, daughters and granddaughters in multiple lactations. And this is the article that you are featuring today. You've got the effects of heat stress on the dam when she enters into lactation. And we've, we've been familiar with that for maybe as long as a decade even. Um, but that data that was released out in 2016 was looking at the daughters. And so they've been incubated in the oven of mama in utero in, in the placenta. Um, and that was showing an effect of the daughters over time. But now with this longer data set, not only do we have the daughter for three years, but we yes. have the granddaughter. And it was just absolutely incredible to look at, at some of these graphs in the, of the yield of milk that's being reduced as a result of being, well, incubated uh, under heat stress conditions. Could you describe, when I say heat stress versus cooled, can you explain the difference between those two? Sure, yes. So they had free access to the shade of the barn, fans and soakers. And the ones that were heat stress, they had the same access to, to the shade of the barn, but they had no fans and no soaker whatsoever. So that's the main difference between the two treatments. So our pregnant dry cows were in this treatment for six to seven weeks and then they calve and we work with the offspring. Neat. Very good. That 45 day dry period. And when I was reading through the treatment types, I was thinking to myself of all those dry cows that are, are just kind of turned, turned out. I, I get it guys. I, I had a dry herd that sought housing underneath the tree row. Uh, but I don't know if you caught that, but even the control cows that were quote unquote heat stressed had access to a barn, right? And so um, this is this is uh, pretty incredible to see um, how this could impact our nation's dairy industry. Specifically here in Missouri, we have oh, about, I'd say, three months worth of heat stress. Um, 
And so those during those 90 days, depending on where your herd is relative to being dry or what percentage when uh, that could really impact it. And it dry cows to this window that could be programming their offspring. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's one of the things that here we assume no seasonality of calving, which is not true. Uh, you know, so it varies from state to state and from producer to producer. But uh, this type of work, we have to make some assumptions that it's important to consider. So that's one of them. We assume that 15% uh, of cows were dry each month. Okay, so what kind of milk production changes did you see as a result of, of that calf in utero being heat stressed? What's the big ticket item, the, the milk yield? So we had approximately 400 um, dams that were either heat stressed or cool, as we explained earlier, for 10 years. And so we ended up analyzing the records of 156 daughters and 45 granddaughters, more or less. And we look at the records. So in terms of milk production, what we see that if the daughter was born to a heat stress dam during late gestation, during that dry period, that for us, those daughters uh, had reduced milk production in their first, second, and third lactation. Wait a minute. Repeat that. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You said first, second, and third? All of them. Wow. All of them. So the differences range between uh, 2.3 kilograms up to 6 kilograms, uh, depending on which lactation you're looking at. Okay, that would be 14 pounds, right? (laughs) So (laughs) those third lactation cows, when they're starting to really pay the bills. The, you know, those big, exactly. big producers are uh, subject to a loss of 14.3 pounds per day. Guys, per day. Yes. Incredible. Yes. For the first 35 weeks. What is uh, even worse is that more heifers will leave when, when after they are born, will leave the herd before their first calving. So in simple words, they just don't make it to lactation. So that's, um, yeah. that's pretty And you spend all that money raising them up in the most expensive window exactly. of their lifetime. And they just, they just tuck her out. They've got yes. nothing to give. And it was really fascinating to look at um, some theory behind the immunity of that animal and how vulnerable they might be. Because way back in the first day of life, maybe that colostrum wasn't as effective, even if it's high quality colostrum maybe that calf wasn't able to establish an immune system to make her successful. It's just, it's such an amazing system that we manage. Uh, and we, we have shown that multiple times that those calves that are born to heat stress dams, uh, they have a decreased immunity, decreased uh, passive transfer, and that, you know, it stays with them for life. And, we can see the repercussions of that. They leave the herd before first calving. And even those that make it to uh, first lactation, they leave the herd five months before. So the productive life of those that make it, it's, it's also impaired. And, and so that also has economic repercussions as well. So I'm, I'm hearing some big ticket items are uh, total volume of milk and and productive life and so so far we've only talked about 
about the daughter, but we also have seen some pretty profound yield production changes in granddaughter. <laughs> uh, and so that F2 cross. So can you, can you map it out for me? How, how is that yes. calf related to the original dam that was heat stressed? Yes. So these are the daughters of the daughters of the dam that was under heat stress during the dry period. So we're talking about more than five years after that insult was took place in the dam. Okay. So this is what it's fascinating is that five years down the road, you are seeing differences in granddaughter. So these granddaughters, when we look at their milk production, they produce about 1.3 kilograms less in that first lactation. Okay. 1.3 kilograms equals 2.7, almost three pounds of milk. And this is statistically significant, which is important. When you look at the second and third lactation, they follow the same trend. Obviously, we have less numbers because just naturally, we don't have that many granddaughters um, still around. So the ones we have, I think we have 25 per treatment. We can see that decreased yield. And also, we see that more of those that leave the herd before weaning and before first breeding. So there's that extra cost associated to raising those uh, granddaughters. Mm -hmm. And a significant difference in energy corrected milk too. As we, as we look at our components and butterfat and protein, the energy corrected milk was significantly different with those cows being cooled higher than that of those with heat stress. So as a as a mammary biologist, can you explain this? Why, why is there such a change in milk? So to me, the, the, the reason why this, this period is so attractive as a mammary gland biologist is because the mammary gland during that time is undergoing two important processes. One of them is called involution or regression of the mammary gland. This is the first stage, and we know that it's very important. And during the second half of the dry period, as that cow approaches parturition, the mammary gland is going to enter this phase of redevelopment where there are specific and highly regulated cellular processes that are going to occur there that are particularly sensitive to stressors, any stressors, one of them being heat stress. So what we do as mammary biologists, we collect a piece of mammary tissue and we look it under the microscope. Our goal there is to be able to look at the cells that are actually going to be producing the milk. We have a few reports showing that the tissue architecture and those crucial cellular processes that are called cell apoptosis and proliferation are being impaired by exposure to heat stress. And we have shown that this is true for the dam, that it's under heat stress. So those processes are impacted, are shifted. And also, when we look at the mammary gland of the daughters, when they start their first lactation, remember that this is almost two years after they were born to a heat stress dam, there are still very clear deviations of what a normal mammary tissue should look like. So again, we see reductions in those cellular processes that are so important for mammary gland development and lactation. If we go a little bit more technical, we see a higher 
proportion of non-secretory tissue, which is super important. But during lactation, you want to minimize that and maximize the secretory tissue. So we're seeing the opposite. So this is one of the potential explanations why those daughters are producing less milk when they enter the lactating herd. It's really incredible to think about how the quote-unquote epigenetic effect of this two years later, 24 months later, flipping the calendar over, that it could possibly impact the udder, the mammary gland of that little baby calf. You know, and the fact that, okay, so the alveoli, the the balloons that hold the milk, you know, when she's walking into the parlor and she's chock full of, of milk and she's, those alveoli are just full, the balloons are full of milk that were produced from the secretory cells, those alveoli are smaller. She's not able to hold as much and and the secretory cells aren't able to produce enough to fill those smaller alveoli. It's just... Yes, so the secretory capacity of those, well now cows, it's being impacted. So they have less epithelial cells that are going to be the secretory Uh cells. And, and so they have, they have less capacity to synthesize milk and to store milk. And so they have more connective tissue, less secretory tissue, less, uh, secreting, uh, milk secreting cells. So the outcome would be, will be less milk. Less productive. Yeah. Just a less efficient animal. It's, it's incredible. It's really fascinating. And clearly with what you've said so far, would have to have an impact on on the dairyman's bottom line, right? Sure. In the U.S., the economic impact of heat stress in lactating cow associated to decreased productivity, decreased reproductive performance and mortality is estimated to be $1.5 billion. She quickly referenced the 2016 paper from Ferrer and colleagues also in Florida, and they looked at just the milk of the dam and the cost of milk loss for that first calving. And that was $810 million on an annual basis. And then she delved into her research project and saw definitely a cost associated with rearing heifers. That increased $134 million worth. And then you had a reduced productive life of the offspring. So that cost $90 million. Then finally, overall, the milk yield reduction for that calf in utero was $371 million on an annual basis. So a summary for that F1 calf coming out of heat-stressed mama would be $600 million. You add that up to the dam's expenses, and collectively your net loss for the United States dairy industry equals $1.5 billion. Guys, that's huge. I know, really, honestly, you're just wanting to know the bottom line at the farm level. I want to zoom in on a individual farm basis and I take the the kilogram amount per lactation for that F1 cross and I changed it over to pounds, please forgive me, but I I multiplied lactation 1 and and I only did 35 weeks, so 245 days, 4.8 pounds of milk. And then the second lactation was five pounds of milk times 245 days. And then third lactation, remember, that's 14 
8.3 pounds of milk, statistically higher for cooled cows. You add all that up, and it's nearly 6,000 pounds of milk for that one cow. Um, that's not even talking about her dam. That's just the calf that comes out of mama. And we know the dam is, uh, is going to be afflicted also. And so those are real dollars. Um, those are real pounds of milk. Uh, you multiply it by whatever value of milk you have in your, in your contract. And wow, that, that'll help pay for some fans, I think. It comes very close to what has been estimated for lactating cows. So these at least open the eyes of producers in terms of, okay, maybe cooling dry cows is as important as cooling lactating cows. I think the value of this type of report when we put the biology together with economics is that it's putting things into perspective. Yeah, you captured it because let's be honest, I don't know anybody, even on a small hundred cow herd that you're, you, you love every single cow family and you remember them all by name, you still can't remember when her granddam calved five years ago. What season was that? I don't know. You know, and, and so it's really fascinating to have the data to support what maybe we've observed as conscious dairymen and understand it a little bit better. And it, it almost gives me chills. Okay, so I tell you what, if I have a herd that turns their cows out, both lactating and dry cows, they've got different pastures, but they just turn them out and they component feed in the barn. Um, and I'm trying to make a recommendation as an extension agent on what, what barn should they build first? A lactating barn with cooling system or a dry cow barn with a cooling system? Which one would have the biggest return in your mind? Well, you're corn cornering <laughs> me with that question because there's no straight answer for that. Um, I, I I think you know there's uh, it it all depends. Um, and this is a great question. I think the first thing is to start recognizing that heat stress is a real threat to cattle in at all stages of life, as we have shown. So there's no real um, priority on which cows you should first, but there's a, a very nice report that shows that it really depends on the infrastructure, as you mentioned, that you have. You know, do you have a dry cow a barn already available or not? What are the costs of that? And what is the cost of cooling? I, I'm a little biased. By no means I want to say, I want to recommend not to cool your lactating cows. I think that's uh, we should do that. What I want to emphasize here is that cooling your dry pregnant cows seems to be as important as cooling lactating cows, right? Uh, due to these long-term effects or consequences in multiple generations that we're seeing. And when we do the math, this is detrimental economically speaking, and, and that's why we, we should do it. But I think it will really depend on the infrastructure you have. It's important to recognize that regardless of lactating or dry, definitely need to start determining the degree of heat stress in your herd. So by taking some simple measurements, you can estimate that. And if the temperature humidity index would use a threshold of 68, all cows are at a potential risk of heat stress when that THI hits 68. 
I would say no matter how many days of heat stress you have, if it's a short term period, like 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, if your THI is greater than 68, I would pull them all. <laughs> Tricky question. Let's, let's do maybe a second scenario. What if I had a dairy that has a nice system for their lactating herd where they've got a sprinkler and coolers and, and inside a freestyle barn and they haven't yet implemented their cooling for their dry cows. Is there a way, because this is an epigenetic effect rather than a true change in the DNA, can I fix it? Like if, if I immediately add that dry cow barn, will I see an impact right away? with the improvement of facilities? I think so, yes. Uh, if you start cooling your dry cows, you will see an, an impact right away. For example, those uh, offsprings that are born to these heat stress or cool dams in, in our system here at UF, we see epigenetic changes in their liver, in their mammary gland later on. And so those are caused by intrauterine exposure to heat stress when the dam was dry, so during late gestation. If you provide cooling, you're going to be able to reverse that. So, yes. I didn't ask my question very clearly. The F1 cross that was incubated in heat stress conditions, so she's damaged goods. But if I build that barn and put my damaged F1 first calf out of hot mama, into good conditions, will her daughter oh, okay. be okay? Uh, you're, you're asking about the F2s? Yes. Um, so we, we, don't, we don't have the answer for that. But what we do know is that the F1 that is born to a heat stress dam, if we switch environments, you are not able to rescue that uh, phenotype. Mm. Um, so even though you're providing a better environment for the calf at birth, you still see differences in, in average daily gains, in feeding takes, apparent efficient of absorption. You still see that. So it, it's something that it's hard to fix once it's done, but you can fix it by cooling your dry cow for the entire dry period. Start off not having the problem to begin with. Wow. That's in my mind, highly motivating, right? We could we can throw together a, a dry cow facility, uh, put some fans in there, and have a huge impact on on your productivity. And I and I think when you look at the glucose partitioning and the overall health with immunity and all that jazz, not only are we talking milk yield and productive life, but kind of if you dig into that productive life. I think there's a component that's not in this paper, but I'm just imagining it's got to make your life easier. If, if she has a stronger immune system, her liver is functioning better. She's going to be an easier cow to manage. I Absolutely. Think. And we have, we have shown that actually when heat stress affects in utero, the developing heifer, it's not just the mammary gland. There's a systemic effect. It impacts, as you said, immunity, metabolism, so the liver. Um, we've seen that immune organs are smaller, the liver is smaller. So there's a systemic impact of that in euro heat stress that it's definitely impacting productive life that we see that longevity of that animal. 
the calves that are in utero heat stress, they have depressed feed intake, depressed feeding motivation. Uh, their average daily gain is decreased. They grow less and they require more attention, more tube feedings. You need more medications. You don't see huge effects in, in health because they're all going through a stressful process. But the overall management and in general, more attention. So yeah, there's a component there of, of labor of these animals that we have to take into account. Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of value to just having an easier, healthier herd to manage. I know, I know that matters because there's never enough time. So, well, I wonder if there was one culminating conclusion that you would like to share with dairymen listening in that are boots on the ground, harvesting hay right now what what would you want them to know to me the boots on the ground to the dairy industry is that providing heat stress abatement at all phases if your herd is exposed to high ambient temperature and humidity is going to be beneficial in some way shape or form in the long run so it's not about only cooling our lactating cows because we know that's very important but also we should be looking at other phases of the lactation cycle. Well, I, I really do appreciate you committing time to the Dairy Science Digest today. And for those of you listening in, you're welcome to access this paper named Late Gestation Heat Stress Impairs Daughter and Granddaughter Lifetime Performance. It's an open access article available to you in the Journal of Dairy Science and should be in print right as this is being released. And so congratulations on getting your article in press for the Journal of Dairy Science. And listeners, thank you for coming here. This is Reagan Blue with your MU Dairy team signing off from Dairy Digest number three. Have a great day, guys.